G'day everyone. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Stocker. This week we do have Esteban Chavez for you. A household name, the smiling assassin, the nice guy, the Colombian. The first Colombian to win a monument, Tura Lombardia in 2016. He's had podium finishes on the Giro, the Vuelta, multiple stage wins. He is an absolute force to be reckoned with. But he's got an amazing story behind all that. That's what we're going to get into today. The Esteban Chavez Foundation in Colombia as well. Something that he runs off the bike, helping disadvantaged youth in his home country. It's a great story. Esteban, I love talking to him. A really beautiful guy. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Rafa. And I've just got back from Sydney. An exciting time in Sydney because Rafa is back in Sydney They closed down their clubhouse a couple of years ago when we were hit with COVID, and now they're back. They've got a pop-up right on George Street, right in the center of the city, and I was there for the inaugural opening on Friday night, an amazing event, and it was really great to see the passion back in Sydney with the Rafa fans there. I didn't realize how much it really meant to them to have a shop back there. It's not a clubhouse, it's a pop-up. It's going to be there until the World Championships, and there was great vibes around it. I really enjoyed talking to the Sydney crew up there. I even went for an RCC ride. Really nice to be in the sun. I'm back in the cold now in Melbourne. But like I said, coming up, we have got the Esteban Chavez episode. We have had a bit of a delay in shipping. And you know how much I love Roubaix. And I would love to talk about Roubaix every week of the podcast. And I can now because we've got the Roubaix caps up. So if you did miss those... Back when Roubaix was happening, we've got the last batch of the Roubaix caps, the last Sunday in hell to celebrate my last race in Roubaix and, of course, my love for Roubaix. So, guys, look, get across to the shop and check that out. But for now, sit back and enjoy this episode because this is a really great episode and this is one that's been building up for the last few weeks. I know you're going to enjoy this one. G'day guys, welcome to Life in the Peloton, Esteban Chavez, mate, a guy, an old teammate of mine, but we have stayed friends since we changed teams. He's followed in my footsteps, he's now an EF Pro Cycling team, Chavez, Chicho, welcome to the podcast, mate, honoured to have you on the podcast. Now, it's, a, it's an honour for me, Mitch, it's a pretty nice chat we, we will have and we will have a good memories as well and... Yeah, I just remember the first time when I went to Australia, you've been there and we can't talk to each other. And now look at us, we are in a podcast, you know, uh, speaking the same language. That's, oh, that's what I was thinking. This is ridiculous. Like I remember, and I think that was 2014, you came and we rode next to each other and you could say, like, I mean a handful of words in English. And me being just so language illiterate, I couldn't speak any other language. So we just had to ride next to each other. And now, not only can we speak, because when we speak together, we use hand actions and you can get by. You're talking about something, you can explain it. But doing a podcast is something else. So I have to say, chapeau, mate. Well done. (laughs) This is a big step. Your English is amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit improving from, from that times, And it's not 2014, it's 2013, man. Time flies. 13. I'm it's, sorry. I'm sorry. It's almost, it's almost 10 years. And, you know, it feels, feels like last month. It 
feels like yesterday. Time is is something weird. Sometimes you feel like it's it's going too slow, and you just look back and man, ten years, you know. So it's it's impressive, and this is one thing cycling give me. I can speak a different language, and this is for all my life. So this is pretty cool. It's very cool. Let's let's go back to there because. Just before then, you're from Bogota, Colombia, in case anyone doesn't know. You burst onto the scene in 2011 when you win the Tour de l'Avenir. And last week, we spoke to Joe Dombrowski and we talked about the Baby Giro, how this race is so important in the amateur level in Italy. Well, even bigger, I think, than that is in France, the Tour de l'Avenir. They call it the Midi Tour de France. And you won that race. It was just an amazing victory there you sort of most guys from that race go on because it's a platform they're looking to that for juniors and to win that race tell me now for you you know you've got guys who have won that race just to give an example you've got guys like naro quintana's won it warren bargill you got miguel angle lopez soler gadu you know egan bernal today Podjakar. so listen to the names you've also got their Esteban Chavez. So tell me about this decision then. In 2012, you decide then after this win in Lavinia, you sign with Colombia Cola Ports. Is that how you say it? We, we call the, the Team Colombia, which is a government organization, but we're based in, in Italy. So like, like you said, Mitch, Tour de Lavinia is is really important race in under 23 level. I need a platform to sign for one professional team, and that is that is my my chance there. Signed with the Team Colombia, and this is what happened. Why did you go with Team Colombia? Because I feel like there was probably more options out there, or was there no other options to go to a a world to a team or a different team, or you wanted to stay with Colombia? No, be be sincerely, is is my unique option in that in that moment. In that, that year, I, I guess, it was a, a bit late uh, through the Lavinier and all the other riders are already signing it. So, yeah, it's the, it's the unique option I, I had, so I just take it. Right. And, a, and a nice option, I think, because I wasn't sure if you were going to say I wanted to stay close to my fa- my well, not my family, but my countrymen, something that made me feel comfortable when I moved to Europe, at least staying with the Colombians, a Colombian sort of a national team almost, but it's a professional team, made you feel comfortable because you're a man about family. You, you, you love your family. You love Colombia. So I, I figured that that was maybe one of your decisions, but it was actually your only decision and a good decision in that. Yeah, if, if I look back, like when you're in the moment, you just say like, ah, oh, Normally the guys want to go straight to the world tour, you know, and why yeah. myself not, blah, blah, but now I look back and I'm agree completely with you. I'm stay pretty young and I'm staying control environment. I can speak my language and the, the process to leave Colombia and do it my home in, in Europe was step by step, not that aggressive. Like sometimes when you pass to the world tour teams, it's like, Carniceria, you know, it's like pretty hard and mm. you performance or not. But for me, it was mm. progressive. So now I look back and man, it's a, it's a good decision for me. I, in this sport, well, now no, but you know, Mitch, like when we pass to professionals, it's different. It's the slowest step by step. You take two, three years for be comfortable in the peloton for win races. 
So oh, yeah. I had 22, pretty young, and I made all these step-by-step process. But in saying that, you had a very, very good first season. When it comes to the, the race, when we talk about Vuelta Burgos, you were there with Rigoberto Oran and Hanau, you know, two Colombians, and you actually take the stage, stage victory over those guys. A week later, you beat two very well-known Italians, Pelizzotti and Pozzavivo in Italy as well. So, like, yes, you talk about this progression, but you also started beating very, very good guys in your first season. What was that feeling like being in, in your first season and actually riding with these kinds of names? Man, I can't believe it. Like, at the beginning yeah. of the season, I was super struggle. Like, I almost doesn't finish any race. Just had maybe good sensations on Tour of Turkey and that Tyrrhen Adriatico, all the Italian races. Man, I was suffering just for being the wheel, you know? And after I go back to Colombia and do the Volta Colombia with the family, with my environment, and I came for the summer and I just climbed with the best and I just. What the fuck? I can't mm. believe it. You know, like, this yeah. is me. It's real. I can't do it. So it was surprising for me. Even in that time, the team doesn't look numbers or statistics or nothing. It's just about feelings and be surprising. And look at me there, like, Purito Rodriguez, Geno, uh, Danny Moreno, you know, and I'm climbing with that guys mm. and just attacking. As For me, was, like, Wow, this is nice, you know? And after yeah. the, the next races of the season, obviously I just coming down and struggle again, like in Lombardy or that stuff. But man, just show me I can do it. I can I, I start believing again, like, man, this is it's possible. Mm. And again it goes back to that point, back to home, this reset, back to where you're comfortable, back in Colombia, feel good about yourself, come back to Europe on this good feeling ride it as long as you can and then you know look we all feel that especially as myself as a young Australian I struggled I didn't know what it was of course the level was very high but I think it was homesick you know to put a very simple word on it homesick missing what I was comfortable with and getting used to the new environment Um, and especially when you're so family family orientated and it's so important to you I think let's fast forward then to the next season 2013 and you suffer injuries from a crash in uh, Trofo. I'm not even going to say the name right. How do you even <laughs> say that name of that race? Trofeo Laguelia. Trofeo Laguelia. There we go. Laguelia. Early in the season in Italy, and I know you've told this story a lot of times, but it is a very pinnacle part of your career because it does take you into this next phase of your career in a very special way. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about the crash, what happened, and, you know, a little bit about the injuries, really. was the second year of professional for myself in Team Colombia, and that year was pretty special because we get the invitation for the Giro d'Italia. And a Colombian team wasn't in a grandi for, like, 25 years or something like that. And I, I was wow. part of that. So I was, like, super motivated for doing my first grandi. It's a dream for me. And I just training really, really hard and really heavy for, for take my post on the Giro. And in that race in February, uh, like preparation for, for the Giro, I crash. I can't remember the crash. Lucky for me because I yeah. almost died just, you know, like 
concussion and I broke collarbone and I had blood in my in my motorcycle one and lungs. Like yeah, lungs. your lungs, your, your punctured lung and everything. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, broken ribs and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff. But the the more serious thing is damage in the nerves in the right arm and the nerves in the in the body is the more difficult thing for get help you know so i need to pass a lot of process a lot of doctors visit a lot of specialists and finally we get this surgery in colombia like 10 or 12 hour surgery and this doctor sandoval saved saved my life he takes nerves from my leg and put in the arms and yeah it's like cables yes, these small things and and he connect everything and after that it's just therapy for crossing fingers the surgery will work it's crazy well it's six months really before you can even move your arm isn't it because you know you you still were thinking for six months is this going to work what was that period like once the surgery was done no one knew if it was going to be successful did they i think this is one of the hardest periods in my life it's just darkness yeah you're awake and you have no idea what is going on, if it's working or not. You just need patience and that put me in the in the floor, man, like in my knees, you know? Like I I just went in a tunnel and it's, everything is dark and lucky for me I have a beautiful family and they are always on my side and I I'm a lucky boy as well. Always I had the right person in the right moment. So I had a really good physiotherapist. I had a really nice doctors. I have a beautiful family, and this is why I can coming out after the after the tunnel. Because during the process, it's just darkness and just working without objective and, and knowing is is working or not. Yeah. Just faith. Tell me then about because I don't know the exact time that. Mitchelton or Green Edge or whatever you want to call it, Orica Green Edge, and Neil Stevens. I think he had a big part in this. Tell me about when the team came involved and they came and spoke to you about potentially coming on Green Edge for the following season. Tell me a little bit about this and what that was all about and what that did to you for the recovery process. Because from what I understand, this was a really significant point as well. I think in the in the life, and this is an example for that. Nothing is casualty. So what happened is, I have no idea who is Neil Stephens, but Neil Stephens was the national director of Australia when I went through Glavanier. And yep. in 2013, you know, 2012, he was also the DS in Vuelta So he, mm. he saw me when I won in in Vuelta Burgos because Cameron Mayer is He doing saw you there. at the two good points. He saw you at two very good points of your of your life. Yeah. Exactly. And what happened is Neil uh, in the 80s or in the 90s was a rider and he's always doing a room with this guy Oliverio Rincon which he oh. was my director in the Team Colombia. Wow, I didn't know this. So, so, so everything is like casualty, you know, but not yeah. you know like anything need happen for a reason so exactly. in, in in this team in laonce in 90s they are the the units from outside like normally they are french or spanish 
that is one Australian guy and yeah. one Colombian guy. So, okay, you two do it room together. So always they do room <laughs> You're together. You're the two foreign guys. You guys <laughs> exactly. room together. Yeah, right. You go, you go there. So they are really, really friends. And Neil started asking about me to Oliverio, you know, but I have no idea. Yeah. So I did Trofeo de Huelia, I crashed because it's a small race and I'm not a big name in that moment. So no one knows. So in one point uh, in the Giro, Neil asked Oliveri, like, what is going on? Why is the Chavez on the where team? Where is this about? Yeah, yeah. where is this about? No, this guy crashed, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty serious. And, and Neil is like, oh, okay, okay. So looks like Neil spoke with Greenage, like, with the DSs and everything, and oh, I have this project, you know, like I was a Neil's project. So the yeah. guy and Bernard say, okay, you you doing the you doing the deal and offer the guy three years. So I'm doing that during the therapy because I crashed in February. The Giro was in May, so in the final of May, in the final of the Giro, I received one call for one strange number. So I just take it and yeah, and it's one guy like, "Hello, I'm Neil Stephens, and I'm oh my director from from Greenwich, and Oliverio gave me your number, and we just want to offer you three years contract." And I oh. was like, <laughs> "I was like, <laughs> man, this is bullshit." Who is um, this? Yeah, who is this? This is a joke. I, I look at this because the guy spoke me in Spanish, really well Spanish. I say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not for jokes in this moment. I'm I'm doing." <laughs> A really hard moment in my life, so don't joke with me. And I just hung up. <laughs> oh no way! You didn't. Really? Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so uh, Neil called. He again. calls back. Did he call? Yeah, yeah, he called. He calls back like immediately and said, "No, man, look, I'm speaking Spanish because my wife is is Spanish, and yeah, I know Oliverio. I was a writer, so he explained me, and he told me like." This is serious. We want to offer you a three years deal. We know about all your process and now we know about your injury. We want to give you like full support. Then mm. you accept or not? And it's like, yes, yes. Like, like in the cookies, you know, like accept everything. Yeah. I agree without reading. <laughs> just agree. Doesn't matter. Yeah, You're doesn't like, matter. I'm just going to sign before this, before they change their mind. <laughs> exactly. And what did. What did this do to you in this process? Because, like, I know it was already hard and I know you wanted to come back anyway, but this was just a little bit of extra motivation, was it? Does it Was it really something that helped you along? Yeah, for sure, because I'm in that darkness, like I told you, like, without future, in, in that, in that mm. moment, my family already depends from my money's world, you know, like, everything is, like, hard pressure. Yeah. And it's like I, I can't, I can't came through my dreams. What's going on? Like God, please, like help me. And yeah. in, in that point, just I received this call, and it's is the light in the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like little one, like man, if I continue pushing and if I continue working, I can, I can go to one of the biggest teams in the world. I can go to the Tour de France. I can go to the Giro d'Italia. I can came through mm-hmm. my dreams. So, this is one of the reasons, the more important reasons I continue pushing because I received that call and I received that mm-hmm. opportunity and show me it is possible, you know? Like, man, I just need pushing and go hard and learn again and 
man, I can do it. And yeah, it's, it's pretty important in my life that goal. As you guys know, I use restrap bags when I went on my Sweden adventure and also have continued to use them since then. More specifically, their adventure race range. Now, they actually reached out to me and said, hey Mitch, how did those bags go on Sweden? Was there anything you think we could do to improve it? And you look, there's a couple of things. You always find something that when you're riding with different gear, oh, I wish that was just a bit longer or that bit happened like that or the zip was a bit like this. So you know what, I gave back a couple of bits of advice thinking, yeah, you know, what are they gonna listen to me? They went away and they spoke to all of their ambassadors, people who use their gear day in, day out. They took on that advice and they've released a new adventure race range. All the gear that you use when you wanna go fast out adventuring. But actually, I still use that stuff every day anyway. It's great stuff. I'm talking about a saddle bag, I'm talking about a top tube bag, I'm talking about a frame bag, and also a bar bag. This stuff is spot on, and they've gone away and they've tweaked it even more. So go across and check them out, restrap.com, that's R-E-S-T-R-A-P.com, and put in Pelo 10, P-E-L-O 10, to get yourself a little discount as well. Guys, go check them out because I am thrilled. I was already thrilled, but now they've gone and re-released it again. So I know you're gonna be thrilled when you go and see it. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, it was a huge next season because like you said, we caught up at the end of 2013 at that training camp in November in Australia. And I remember seeing you and it wasn't, you weren't able to really lift your arm off properly off the bike. But 2014 was a big season, 72 race days. I had a quick look, Catalonia, Basque, California, Swiss, Vuelta, and then you finished third on the GC in Beijing. So after a big season, you were already starting to find your legs again, but also your arm was starting to feel well. I always remember in the first races, there was a question whether you can grab a feed bag because of your arm, you know, whether it was strong enough. This is just amazing because what I want to go straight forward to is this dream, this 2015, I was there in that Vuelta España, two stage wins, stage two and stage six, wearing the, the red jersey and I got caught up in that vibe, that feeling, that emotion, how much that meant to you because you were living the dream then, it was happening. Matt Heyman, he was a big part of this, but we were all on board. We felt this feeling that was really happening, this progression over this from the injury. And like you said, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to get to live my dream. Tell me a little bit about, especially 2015 for Welsh or Espana and feeling like I'm back. This is what I was meant to be doing. This is what I've worked so hard to do. I guess at the process when I, got, I, I, I was injured, I just... Don't believe for myself anymore, you know, like it is possible I'm ride the bike again. And if it's I if I ride the bike, if it's possible I'm riding in a peloton. And if it's possible I'm riding a peloton, it's possible I beat these guys. You know, so everything is like yeah. a process and yeah, it took me like one year or even a little bit more for one year for up the arm, you know, but without the strength. So everything is all question marks, which I feel really welcome on the team, and you you've been part of that, and I want to thank you as well, not just you and everybody in the team, because even I can't talk 
I can't communicate really well. I'm pretty young, I'm pretty new. I feel always welcome. And I feel always mm. like a group of friends. I feel always like a family. People wonder about me. And this is an important thing for me. So this is also one of the reasons I want to came back and I want to show you guys as well, like, okay, you gave me this opportunity. You makes me feel welcome. I will work super hard for gave you back everything yeah. with my work, with my results, with, with all this. So all this process is step by step. Like you said, Catalonia, Bax country. And after I took a win in California and in California, like 15 days before is my first time I up the hand. So I went to California, yeah. like super motivated. I took the stage and that showed me, okay, I'm back. I can do it. Yeah. I just continue working, continue working. We went to Swiss and we have all this atmosphere around on this yeah, environment. Like, And I feel like, man, I, I, I want to work really hard because these guys do it for me, so I will do it for these guys. I mean, in 15, when we took these stations to the Vuelta, I can't believe it. Like, I went to bed and man, this is serious happening. Yeah. It's true, you know, like I need to pinch myself and I just sometimes I went to Manuel's room. Manuel's was the doctor, you remember Manuel? And I say to yes. Manuel, like, Manuel, I, I just take the bike and train and look at what what I do. What and he's like, No, just go to bed and tomorrow it's just try again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like but what I do, like I, I need to take a check protein shake and I can't sleep and I'm nervous and then he's like oh day by day no worries and like I'm super I can't believe it in that moment and, and right now I look back and Mitch was awesome was unbelievable yeah, it was. was super big it was it was and you what one thing I showed from that for me one thing apart from your ability the amazing ride you did as a cyclist attacking on that climb and going and having that belief. But your individual relationship with your teammates, that was the most important thing for me with you. You understood the importance of the team around you. You understood in the importance of these guys are really important for me, for my success, for me to do well. You also respected that and something that you continue to do throughout your whole career. And it goes back to this thing we keep talking about, this this family, this love for your family. You took us on as part of your family in the Vuelta España. Like you said, you felt the love from the team, but you gave the love back. And as a teammate, it's one of the one of the best times I have feeling riding for a leader. I didn't care what I had to do. I was doing it because I just wanted to, because I knew you were doing everything you could to win that stage or go for it. It's, it's such a, people who ask this question about cycling, they think, how can you be a domestique or a lead out man in the sprint? Can't, don't you want to just win yourself? But when you understand your level and you're working for someone like you that you know is able to win the race and gives back that appreciation, it's such an amazing feeling. Tell me about like that feeling and, and what you regard about your teammates because that's something, whether you think about it or not, you make all your teammates feel very appreciated. Well, Mitch, I, I think it's, it's how the way I growing up, you know, from, from my family, mm. from my life from where i coming from. I'm on the way where I am and I'm here and I'm talking to you because directly or indirectly, someone helped me for this. 
you know, like we can't do it, the things for ourselves. We need a team. We need a teammate. We need a family. We need a, you know, that guy next to you or that girl or that organization. Everyone made you meet soccer in one point, you know, and told you with that little things. So in life, we just can't take everything from people or organization. We need to give back to well. And I think this mm. is why the human beings are here in the, in the, in the world, like for, for learn a lot of things, but also for teach, because anything else disappear. So yeah. I understood, or I understand that right now, but in that, in that point, when we look back like seven years ago, I just act like that because it's how my dad is, it's how my mom is, you know? But now I, I, I see for a little perspective of a bit more from outside and this is this is the reason. In that moment probably I wasn't understood really well, but now I when when I see is this is why. That's for, the importance. Yeah, you're just acting acting by that's instinct. That's the way you knew how to treat people. But now you understand that's the right way to treat people. Okay, I still wanna do it like that, but I understand that is the way you need to do it. Tell me about the Giro now. The Giro is on as we speak, and this is a race for you that has been, as I say with everyone, a love-hate relationship, I think. I could be wrong. Sometimes I love that race. Sometimes I absolutely hate that race, and I have only ridden it twice. It's the most beautiful race to hate, I think, um, yeah. because you have been so close. 2016, you finished second there, and the victory – I hate to say it, the victory was ripped away from you on the last day, but then also 2018, you had a bit of a a, a tough year there too because you had came into that with, and then you didn't even realize that you had the Epstein virus. I was there with you in the group that day when you got dropped. I was cursing you because I didn't know you had the virus either, but you were in my group, which meant everyone in the front group was chasing really hard to st- keep you away from the front. And you were back with the sprinters and we were like, why is Esteban in our group? He shouldn't be here. So there was this big chase, the hardest day I've literally ever done in my life on the bike. And it was it was a really hard race. Tell me a little bit about the Giro because you have had some really good success there as well. You've had a stage win there. Like I said, second place on GC. Tell me what your feeling is about the Giro d'Italia. You've won, sorry, you've won won three stages there. You've worn the pink. You know, there's... (laughs) There's a lot to love about the race, but there's also a lot to sort of hate about the race. Tell me yeah. about your feeling about the Giro. Look, for I, I, I will say a good words here. And man, <laughs> the Giro d'Italia <laughs> is a bitch for me. It's a bitch. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm in love of this Giro d'Italia. And the Giro d'Italia gave me the best things in my life. And just not the Giro d'Italia, Italy. Italy changed my life yeah. and my family life. And then Italy also treated me so bad. Like all this injury in 2013, these things with the Epstein, Epstein Bar virus, you know, but also gave me these awesome victories, Giro di Lombardia. Also, when I won one stage in the Dolomites, my parents are in the finish line. So I had all these beautiful moments. 
but man also hit me so bad Italy. So is this relationship with hate and love, which I have with Italy. Italy and the Jury Italia is one of the more beautiful races, but one of the hardest. You know it that, you know it that. Mm. It's, it's pretty rough. It's pure cycling, it's pure fans, it's pure, you know, herd and balls, you know, like for real men. And this yeah. race put me a lot of times on my knees, but also gave me the best of my life. Can you tell me a little bit about the feelings in 2016 when you took the jersey with one day to go and going up that climb when, when Nibali attacked, that feeling, you know, you were giving everything you had. It was the end of the race. Everyone's on their hands and knees and suddenly now you're expected to defend the jersey. I, had to, I recently watched the backstage pass from this stage to refresh myself, but I was watching that stage when it happened as well. I had a tear in my eye for you, but actually, was it like that for you? Or were you just happy also to be wearing the pink on stage 20? That's the thing everyone forgets. Yes, of course, it was so close to winning the race, but also you're at the pointy end of the race. You're racing with the best riders. There's also a beautiful moment in that as well. It's, it's the same, you know, it's like, yeah. is this love, but is this just hate, you know? So close. Exactly. Yeah. So. In that moment, because you are in the in the race and this guy is attacking and you are losing the race and you're you're thinking like then you gave everything, you're giving everything and you can't follow these guys. It's like oh desperate, you know, like man, it's frustrating. But after yeah, you're crossing the finish line, I was on tears, my family was there, like I'm I'm saying sorry to them, like, man, I lost, I'm mm. sorry, you know, like, but after a few hours or a few days even, you realize, like, man, this is big, you know, like, yeah, wow, this is awesome. You finished podium in one Grand Tour. Like, yeah. when I crashed it in Trofeo La Huelia, if someone gave me a contract and told me, your biggest thing in your life is finish 15, or 50 in a grand tour, I will sign. I never thought yeah. I can finish second, you know? So yeah, in that moment, it's like, oh man. But after that, and you're thinking it's, it's big. And more than, than the result, it's like you said, like everything is behind, all the story, all the fight, all the all the team, all the story of each team, how, how this story, continue to touch the people even after six years, you know, in, in, mm. in that, in that year people don't remember the, the winner. Yeah. They remember, but they remember more the story. And this is the story, the passion, exactly. the, what happened, the face, the face of you riding up the mountain, the pain. Exactly. And supposedly that's what we love, but yeah. Maybe maybe they should ride up the mountain and feel the pain, these people. <laughs> this is true. It's true. Let's, yeah. let's talk about Italy for a little bit longer because you did speak about Lombardia. You won a monument, the Italian mon monument at the end of the year, Giro de Lombardia in 2016. It was an amazing season. You went to Rio, third in the Vuelta Espana as well. You were hot property. You were really coming of your age. You were riding very well. And from what I understand, Sky came in and offered you a contract. 
don't know what it was worth. I can imagine it was a very lucrative contract. But you stood strong and you said, I want to stay. I have loyalty for the team at Green Edge and I will stay because they've supported me. The respect for Steve-O, the respect that they've done for me. Tell me about this story. Is this correct? I've only sort of heard this around. Is this the correct <laughs> feeling? Is this the correct story or not? Yeah, I, in terms of results, that was my biggest risk, my biggest season, of course. And yeah, after after that season, like few teams came, and one of that was Sky. But I just love Greenwich, you know. Like I, yeah. I, I had. And I, I even I have like a lot of respect for that team and what they team gave to me. So I don't care that point about the money. I just want to continue with this atmosphere, with this environment. I was, I feel like in family, like when I go to the races, it's pretty nice to see the boys, see the staff. I yeah. had this relationship with, so with the Steve. So I feel already thankful for for that, and I want just keep that on, on my life. So this is the biggest reason I just don't change things in that, in that point. The money wasn't important, just these other things was more important for me. Tell me about then now, 2019, Neil Stevens leaves the team. Um, you know, how did that sit with you, Neil moving on? Was that some, something that really changed for you in the team? Because as we know now, 2022, You've moved to EF Pro Cycling. I think a really good move, mate. Um, my <laughs> my team, welcome to the team, mate. Well, I'm, I'm only loosely in the team these days. But, you know, like we spoke about, you had such loyalty, respect for Green Edge. Was it, you know, this change in 2019? And as we know, maybe people on the outside don't know, but that team is very different. It is ne- not necessarily a bad team, but it's a different team to what Green Edge was back in 2012 when I started 2014 or 13 when you started the team has evolved was that for you something that you didn't enjoy anymore why has this change come about why did you want to change to ef now yeah the the the, the organization suffer suffer a change which is normal in mm. any organization in any person in any relationship in any business just you need to suffer uh, a changes and you need to adapt and with that changes, with the, with that all that different stuff, I was not completely hundred percent comfortable anymore. So that is why I need to change environment. I need to change atmosphere. And yeah, we are now in F. And until now, man, is is a good move. Is is I'm really happy. And, and yeah, like refresh myself as well. Give me again motivations i want to impress now my team i uh, i i have another culture another persons and right now i say like oh why i don't take this decision earlier you know like wow yeah anyway you can you can you can change it and now you you, you even don't don't know the future but yeah for me was a, a big loss when steve leave the team and that is 2019 but he started be different role on the team even in 2017 so from 2017 everything yeah. is, is start to change into changing then also that affect myself so i'm still in contact with steve in, in hard time you know yeah. i he's a, a really important person for me 
But yeah, it's life. It's life. We need to adapt to any situation, continue. Sometimes we chase, we, we chase happiness and thinking that is forever, but not. Happiness is a, is a moment, like sadness, like, yeah. you know, excitation, like uh, different feelings, that feelings are not forever. You know, it's just up and down and depends on you or you, or you see the life or keep yourself in your feet and continue working and chasing your dreams, learn from different stuff, teach, you know, but just you need to understand. And we're pretty young when we pass to professional bike riders and no one explained us this, you know. We are kids, we are kids living in another country in a different language and sometimes you have feelings you don't understand and you can express because you have 22 year old, 23, like what's going on, you know? Yeah, and exactly. we need to pass for all of this for understand things. Um, yeah, it's life. Tell me about something very exciting that you started and I might've got the year wrong back in 2015, I think the Esteban Chavez Foundation making children and youth dream without limits. I love that line. And just hearing you speak about that, I thought it was the perfect time to talk about this, understanding you know these young minds and helping them dream. Tell me a little bit about your foundation and what you're doing with that, because this is this is something really exciting. If the, the humans have the possibility to dream, it's because the dream come true. But the dreams doesn't come true if you just stay in the chair and drink a coffee and look at the television. The <laughs> dreams come true if you work pretty hard. And you and myself are the example for this. If you work really, really hard, the dreams come true. And I want to expand this message to the world, to the kids, to my country, the country who see me born, you know, the country who gave me everything. And how the country helped me, I want to give back to to my country. And this is the objective of myself. I'm doing cycling, professional bike cycling. Mm -hmm. It's not because I want to be Eddie Merckx or because I want to have a lot of money. It's because I want to show to the world the dreams come true. I want to be an example, like you are. So I want to give back that to the community and we create this foundation with my family. And we have two sizes. One side is cycling, which we have a team mm -hmm. for under 16 and junior team. And we choose 18 kids from 500. So we have this like a program in every January. Every, everyone can come and we choose the next 18. That's a hard selection. Yes. 18 from 500. That's a very hard selection. Gosh. It's crazy. Take us like a month. And in the end, man, you want to take oh, no. every single one off. And it's so, so hard. And the other way of the foundation is we find money for uh, different programs for made surgeries for our kids have uh, orthopedic problems like I had. So the doctor made me the surgery. Is the doc is the head doctor who made surgery for this? Oh, the kids. same doctor. Fantastic. Yeah. Is the same doctor in the same hospital, uh, Fundacion Cardiofantil, and he's the leader of the of the doctors. And we we just raise money for for make the surgery for these kids and change their life and show them 
the dreams come true and we just help a little bit and after that they can work and their family and we just don't change the family's life or the kids' life is like this all of them. It's it's beautiful, it's also hard, it's tough. But look, mm. after six years we have three professionals bike riders came at our foundation. Aina Rubio in Movistar, yeah. Santiago Wiltrago in Bahrain, Daniel Mendez in Ken Pharma. Day three Wow. We're four years in our program. And all wow. the others, all the others, which doesn't pass to professional, all they are in the university, they have own business, you know, they they are professionals already, they have families, so they say like, man, the foundation just, just changed my life. Yeah. And this is what, what, what we want. Being a professional is pretty hard, but I know it. Every single kid came to our foundation is just have another mindset, have another mm. purpose. You know, they they see it's possible. Okay, if it's not cycling, another way. But they have discipline, which cycling give you. They have a teamwork. They have respect. You know, they all this cycling have. So this is why why we do and the foundation. Creating these well-rounded human beings, you know, it doesn't have to be professional sport, like you said. Yeah, they can get this from the foundation. They can get this advice from someone like you, or just hanging out with others and become these well-rounded human beings. Whether that's professional cyclist or a, whatever, going to university. I love that idea because it is something very similar to what I grew up in in the cycling world here in Australia. Maybe not exactly the same, but the same philosophy. I guess it's a really good question to ask you lastly, Esteban, because I feel like you have learned a lot. You have an up and down career starting super high with that Lavenir win, very low with that crash and making your way through the peloton with some great highs, but some really tough moments. What have you learned through your time in the peloton to this point? Over all this, is it about what have you really learned? What are you passing on, whether it's in the foundation or whether it is just a young riders or yourself what do you really what have you learned from these years man i i just understood and i can see now and i can teach to these guys life is just continue pushing continue riding like you remember matt Heyman when he won paris robert man you you were there yeah and and his his words is just keep riding you know he's also one really good example what it's about he always keep riding he had a really tough moments and he just keep believing and keep riding. So doesn't matter what. If you are winning, if you are losing, if you are in a injury, if you have no job, if you are studying, if you have a big loss, just man, keep riding, keep going, keep working. Because if you're doing that, you turn back, you know? Mostly of the humans just in a hard situation give up give and up. put the finger in another things like ah if if I don't injure I can be a professional football player, you know? Like man, yeah. Mm. But if you injure and you work, you came back stronger and maybe you can be a football player, you know, you but now you will not because you give up. You gave so, up. Exactly. exactly. So what I learned in those, all this time is just continue, keep writing, continue fighting, continue going. 
you know, even when it's dark, even when you have no other way, if it's your dream, that is the way. Yeah, mate, that's lovely. That's a really lovely way to, to finish. Esteban, thank you very much for coming on today. It's been great to chat to you as well, just as a mate, to see your face. You're over there in Andorra. I'm back here in Australia. Mate, great to see your face. Now, Mitch, thank you very much for these opportunities. It's an honor. Uh, yeah, more because I can expand my message to the world. So thank you very much. Well, there we have it, Esteban Chavez. Like I said, I tell you what, I would be struggling to find anyone who doesn't love listening to that guy. What an awesome guy. And what you hear on the microphone, what you hear in your ears is exactly how he is. Such a lovely, humble guy. And it's just really motivating to listen to him speak, his way to come back from that injury and what he's done. He's a great guy to ride for, a great teammate, a great leader. Like I said, this episode, this podcast doesn't happen without the help from Rafa this year. And I really did enjoy being up in Sydney. So if you are Australian-based, if you're Sydney-based and you haven't been into the new Rafa store on George Street in the city, go and check it out. I know you're not going to be disappointed. It's a great store, a great vibe, and get down and do one of the RCC rides. A big thanks goes out to Lara behind the scenes, of course, and Will Jones, who put this episode together. And of course, you guys for listening. I love hearing your feedback. Of course, next week will be Esteban Chavez on Talking Luft. So guys, until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.